0: Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Keith Cottrell joins us from New York City, where he is Vice President of Operations for Electronic Environments New York. Keith and I have known each other since the early 2000s when he was working with Jeff Hoover at Audio Advisors in West Palm Beach, Florida, who was CDA president and one of my columnists for my previous magazine at the time. Keith had become the director of operations for Audio Advisors and started volunteering for CDA education. And around that time, we developed a friendship And then later, as he left Audio Advisors and moved back to the New York City area around 2008, Keith reached out to me about writing a series of articles for my magazine on project management. Eventually, I left the New York City area, not because of Keith, mind you, but uh, for family reasons. And other than through Facebook, we basically lost touch for a while as Keith then also left the industry and I switched publications. Now he's back working as a residential integrator again, and we crossed paths recently at the HTSA Buying Group where I suggested that we use this podcast to fill in the missing pieces from Keith's career path and find out what drew him back to this business. Keith, your child, welcome to the podcast and welcome back to the CI business. It's great to see you again.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. Happy to be back, Uh, still wondering if I, should be back in residential, but uh, that's just the tongue in cheek with the love hate relationship that I have with this industry, but it's all good. I'm happy to be back. Actually,
0: it, it keeps pulling us back in or it never lets go. One of the two. It's, uh, it's a strange business. It's very uh, incestuous and uh, somehow I, I think it's impossible to fully leave it behind right yeah
1: exactly it's like like the godfather right (laughs) you think you're out but you get dragged back in
0: that's right well i want to go through uh, a lot of what what you know brought you to it originally and took you away brought you back um but maybe just starting back when we first kind of connected which was your audio advisors days with jeff hoover down in west palm beach for a New York guy down there, I guess you know New Yorkers going down to Florida is nothing new. But uh, um, that was according to your uh, your LinkedIn. You were there from t- nineteen ninety eight to two thousand and seven. But one of the things that I really uh, got a kick out of in your in your LinkedIn profile was uh, your description of that time where you said I held many positions while at audio advisors started out as an installer when i knew nothing about home automation nor av <laughs> so i just thought that was really frank and and honest and i loved it and so you eventually became this really um respected project engineer for for um, jeff i think he really had a lot of faith in you kind of pulling all the product project management details together for his company um, can you just tell tell the story of how you? connected with audio advisors and how you go from no experience as an installer and knowing really anything about the, the tech side of things there in that company to being sort of a trusted person within the company.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, journey. Um, it started out in, uh, I grew up in the elevator industry. My dad was a three decade, uh, elevator repair, uh, maintenance, uh, technician, I guess. We didn't use technicians for elevators back then, but that's what they're called today. Um, and ironically, when I was in high school, I was thinking about business or accounting or finance as a career path into, or as a uh, area of study for college. And then dad, knowing his son fully well, said, let me teach you a trade just in case. And, you know, God rest his soul, I told him to the day he died, you cursed me, right? Because he introduced me to technology and, and here I am. Um, and, and that's kind of really where I got my I didn't know it at the time where I really got my entrance into automation, right? Relay logic and signal flow, et cetera. And then, long story short, I went into telecommunications at some point in time, was doing low voltage security, and it was a company I was working for in uh, Long Island City, New York, um, I was working for their low voltage uh, division. And they started to dabble in home automation. They sent me to Salt Lake City, Utah in 1997 to get trained in FAST. Mm-hmm. Um, And I loved it. I mean, it was just, I, you know, for me, you know, back then, you know, the Jetsons on steroids. Like this is what I want to do, and so forth. So long story short, uh, that company we were building, uh, we were involved in a project in uh, on the town in the town of Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we were doing all of the automation ourselves, working with a an electrician and audio advisors had the AV contract, and it, you know, in in full full retrospect, it it was a uh, a pivoting moment for me because number one, you know, audio advisors, I was working for audio advisors customer. Right. And, uh, the, the sales rep that I was talking to from audio advisors respectfully said, I can't have this conversation with you unless I have your permission. I have the permission of, 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 uh, your, your boss because he's my customer. So that was really my first, you know, growing up moment. And I said, okay, I respect that. And, Let's do it. Let's just—I'll have, have that conversation. So, long story short, um, I didn't immediately join our Advisors, but in late '98, uh, November 1998, the day after Thanksgiving, I I packed up my uh, a truck and drove down. I actually stayed at Jeff Hoover's house for 35 days, I think, or say 30 days. I was uh, I was out of there by Christmas and. It was an eye-opening experience for me again i was you know it was a culture shock you know kid growing up from the bronx they go down and you know now start working and i didn't you know start working in this industry let alone knowing anything about home construction right because okay like i said i was working in commercial spaces up until that point in time um like i said i started out as an installer they hired me primarily i think because of my phone and my voice and data experience i've I phone system experience. I was dabbling in networking at the time, whatever that meant in the late 90s. -hmm. And then they brought me inside to be a project engineer because I also had a security background. So I owned security and the voice data side of the engineering. Mm. And then as the company was growing, I think I was employee number 30. And then at the end of the, by the time I left Jeff, we were over 70 employees, right? So we went through many stages of growth. I think I even say this in my LinkedIn profile, I was one of the first project managers because at the time, project engineers owned the engineering plus the, the management of the projects, working with lead technicians, et cetera, and sometimes tag teaming the the engineering and project management. And as we get bigger, we realized we needed dedicated project managers. And then my first um, management position was all of the PMs started reporting to me, which led to me being director of operations. I was director of system design at one point in time. And I think my last title was director of continuous improvement. Right. And the only con- only thing continuous about audio advisors or the industry is change. Right. Right. So, um, so helping Jeff through the, the various stages of the growth that, you know, we were, um, we were on fire, right. Like the rest of the industry back then. And Jeff was already, uh, knee deep into his, um, volunteerism with Cedia. He was on the board of directors, started the home networking council, became vice president and eventually Cedia uh, president. And then you know, I got sucked into the volunteer engine myself, um, as, as one of the first deans of, of the project management school for C D University. And it that for me, that volunteerism really helped me understand the the depth and breadth of this industry and the opportunities and, and really also helped bring back some great ideas in terms of helping us with our growing pains at the time and I loved it. And that's ultimately what drew me back in after my, you know, I think it was a nine year hiatus before coming back to the industry to almost two years ago now.
0: Well, you and I, um, I, I remember fondly had a, a dinner when you were in town working at Cedia headquarters, doing some, some education, uh, planning, probably, uh, maybe even teaching some classes. And we went down to the, the legendary St. Elmo's for, for steak dinner. Uh, and, uh, it, it was it was always just great to kind of reconnect with you at Expo and see you at the um, you know the awards banquets and things like that. Um, and it, so you got involved with this education side of things. Um, you helps develop some programs for sure. And if you want to maybe dive a little deeper into to that, and then we can also sort of trace your further uh, career path after uh, leaving west palm but uh what were some of those educational efforts that you did there and uh, what kinds of classes were you teaching at expo
1: yeah it was an interesting journey um so here i am a naive uh you know still relatively young in the industry sitting in a room with seasoned veterans with decades of experience and and trying to figure out exactly you know how do i fit in and, and how do i find my voice and it really helped develop me personally and professionally um so when, when the CD University concept was was founded or born, if you will, in 2002, 20 years ago, um, it was under the leadership and guidance of Todd Adams and Kenny Smith. Um, and, you know, Ken Erdman and, and many others were involved at that point in time. But essentially it was founded on the principle of five schools within the university. And so the PM school being one of them, that first year, we really didn't know what we were doing or what we wanted to offer. We just know we, we needed a sh- more structured way of approaching the, you know, the glaring need for education in the industry. And, and so really what we did was we, we polished up some of the existing seminars, if you will. And we said, well, this is a project management class and, you know, when maybe we can develop a course here or there, but we really weren't, in my opinion, that first year adding the value that was needed. Mm. And so after that that first year of doing it and debriefing after Expo, I guess it was Expo 2002, we sat back and said, so what, what should this become? You know, and here we are, you know, as, you know, as I like to say, the, the arrogant, um, uh, nerds that we are in in this space, um, why are we trying to figure out what best practices are for project management when it already exists somewhere else? Right. Mm. So, Two things happened that were pivotal, not just for me personally, but also f- what we were about to do for project management. Number one, I think it was Eric Bodley recommended that we we go and sit in on um, NSCA's boot camp. They had a two-day boot camp on project management that was developed uh, by some consultants, and 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 so I sat through that course, and it was it was great. I said, "This is everything that we need. It could be come the anchor for our curriculum." And so Todd Adams and I negotiated the rights to, re, to rewrite that content for, mm. for the residential space. And I was the guy that was tasked to rewrite the content. And I kept asking, because you know, at that point in time, I had no teaching experience. I hadn't even taught my first year. And I said, who's going to teach this, this boot camp? And, and Margaret Sheehan and others at times said, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep your head down. We'll figure that out at the end. And I think it was like thirty days before Expo. They said, "By the way, you're going to do this." I said, "What?" <laughs> and I hadn't even taught a ninety-day seminar at that point in time. You want me to be the anchor for a two-day boot camp? Don't worry, we'll bring in um, a few others to help you. I think Eric Bodley was was one of the instructors. I can't remember who the third one was, but I was a wreck. I mean, I was a I was panicking and and uh, didn't sleep very well the night before of that, uh, you know, launch, if you will. And within like. Thirty minutes, and like I had found myself, like this is what I want to do, right? And and that's still the retirement vision, right? Is you know, whenever that comes, is I want to teach and write and and train, you know, when I slow down in life. But that was very a very fulfilling um, discovery for me, and and it led to then discovering, you know, as we continue to dive into what are the best practices. In my research, I, I stumbled upon the Project Management Institute. Mm. Um, And that's when I realized that there's already certification in place at the time. There was only really one certification that the PMI was offering, which was the PMP or project management professionals. So in, I think it was 2004, um, I went down that journey, uh, you know, for for audio advisors and for myself. Um, It was one of the hardest exams I'd ever taken. And then, you know, I, I passed it obviously. And then I, I brought that philosophy into uh, the C.D. University concept as the foundation. You know, if you think about the university concept of 100 to 400 level courses, you know, I didn't. We didn't really need to write any of the 100 level courses if we we could, you know, kind of mirror or somehow figure out how to pass on the fundamental knowledge that the P.M.I. Um, you know um, has was already generating, right, mm-hmm. or had, had already generated, developed, and so that became sort of the the backbone, if you will, of of the project management university uh, or school within the university and others like uh, Jim Goss and um, Joe Wallace and uh, Dean Callis, you know, we all, Aaron Carmack, I'm just, you know, the names are coming up. Um, We just, you know, we just kept building on that content. And as we got into the three 400 level courses, we were just, you know, the art of home theater with, you know managing a home theater project with the with the whole fundamentals of what is a project and, and what does it mean to deliver a project and i've always said you know that the pmi philosophy is is really about it's an abstract way of thinking about projects but that's really what it is it's about creating that mindset of what is a project right it's supposed to be temporary despite what our industry thinks um you know and, and there there are unique aspects of it and then what does it mean about you know, as, as I've evolved in my project management thinking, it's more than just what the project manager does. It's what does the department manager do? What does the organization do to, to enable success, et cetera? But beyond the project management classes that I was helping write, I was teaching some of those courses. I started doing some customer relation classes as well. And I think I, I even um, tag team a few classes with Jocelyn Stover on the business side as we started to see unique or, or similarities between business and PM content, customer relations, and so forth. So, it was a, it was a, you know, professionally speaking, that ten-year period um, before I left the industry. Cedia really helped me figure out who I wanted to become. And remember, I got into this industry, industry because I loved fast, right? It's mm-hmm. not even a product anymore, and it was the automation side and the technology. And I was a really good programmer. Hmm. At one point, and I was going to go down that path for for uh, for Jeff and audio advisors. And I I said, you know what, this is my niche. You know, I'm really good at, at operations and project management. And it's, it's kind of the, the career took off from there, really, when I had that epiphany. I still, you know, think back to that decision, you know, of programming versus, you know, management. There are most days I say I should have stayed in programming, but you know, <laughs> but it is what it is, right? It's just the art of met, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of being a a manager and a business leader. It's it's daunting, but so is delivering projects in our industry, right? So
0: I think it's interesting. You, you point out the thing that that we see so often, where we think that the CI business is just unique and there's no other and no other business like it, which is complete nonsense, and that you figured out that there's this general sort of school of project management, this institute that exists. And, um, and yet, as much as I agree that there are broader business uh, techniques and things that apply to our industry that should be kept in mind at all times, the idea of what a general project is without it being linked to our industry, the PMI model, this uh, abstract concept of, the project, it still kind of blows my mind a little bit to think about going into this thing and just learning this general top topic of project management and then making it apply to what you do specific to the custom integrator greater industry. So did you f- feel it right away? Like when you went to the Institute, like, oh, this does apply to us. This is exactly what we need to do. Or was Uh-oh. it like, well, our industry is kind of different. I don't know if this is always going to work
1: um again i was still relatively wet behind the ears right so instinctively instinctively um my gut told me this is what we needed right okay and, yeah, yeah and when i brought it back to you know my peers in cd university and and to todd uh who was still running uh cd university at the time uh for expo specifically it just it started to click and you know okay. we we had um you know board members in uh, many of our. Uh, think tank sessions and it just just was a natural sense because we were i wouldn't say we were desperate but we were desperate for for content right, right. And we needed to really understand like what is it that we're trying to to create here and it you know the the difficulty factor of of what cd university even still today for, for cd is that you know there's such a wide array of um organizational size and structure yeah Right. And so what, you know, what is the best practice for our industry when you've got five man companies and mm-hmm. 70 to 100 man companies? Right. And it's but at the end of the day, the principles are still the same. Right. I mean, if you if you ever read the, the book, you know, the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, you got to sell, you got to deliver and you got to, you know, have the, the administrative you know backbone to make sure that you're collecting, invoicing, et cetera, paying people. But it's, it just boils down to that that grassroots and, and not overcomplicating things. And so I would say probably a year into blending the the PMI philosophy into the curriculum, it really started to make sense. Um, like we were on to something. Um, it wasn't a popular opinion because there were many people who... Who, who would think, you know, this doesn't apply to us. You know, mm-hmm. we're a much different industry, our, our projects are different, what, what what makes them so different besides the clients and the technology, right? It's no different than what IT, IT guys are doing or commercial AV guys are doing. And, and so a project is a project is a project at the end of the day. There are very unique aspects to the projects that we deal with, but at the fundamental grassroots level, it's just a project.
0: Well, after the break, we will continue our conversation with Keith Couturell. Do you want superior smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi relays by Ultraco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux or motion, and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or COAP. Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. I'm talking with Keith Cottrell, the Vice President of Operations at Electronic Environments New York. And Keith, uh, what you did with that education with PMI is kind of the foundation of your series of columns that you did for residential systems. Am I correct in remembering that, that you kind of used some of those principles and how they applied to the industry as your uh, basis for that?
1: Yeah, there, there was a blend, but the, the core of those columns at the time was on this concept um, of employee architecture, right? And so when I, when I left... Um, audio advisors in 2007 for personal reasons. I moved back to New York. Um, I was doing some soul searching at the time on, on a personal level. And I decided because I had the training bug, right. Uh, having gone through that, that, you know, at that point in time, five, six, seven years of, of, of volunteering for Cedia and talking to other trainers in the space, again, Todd Adams, uh, Mario Leone, and, and Joel Rosenblatt. And, you know, we're, and, and others, Steve First, you know, what What could we help the industry with in terms of education and training? And what I quickly recognize is that most of the training programs outside of the business consulting programs that guys like Steve First were offering, all of the training, third-party training that was being offered was, you know, on the technical side, right? Mm-hmm. And I think most organizations in any any industry go there first because it's the X's and O's of, of of delivering whatever the products and services you are. But you overlook the the professional development side and and creating well-rounded individuals. You know, and you know back then we would take you know the best lead technicians and turn them into project managers because we had we had no other depth, we had no other pool of talent to dive into. But it failed more times than not because a good lead technician is good because he's focused right but now you now you bring them over to project management it's you know the people skills the financial skills it's the you know you have to be a pseudo general manager because you're you got to speak multiple language the finance the client the architect right and so the professional development side and and rec i recognize this through the cd university um, um, journey as well it's you know we were missing uh, a little bit there in terms of what does it mean to develop individuals, you know, employee intelligence and communication skills, time management skills, and, another other, you know, similar type workshops. So that was really the essence of the, of the, uh, the columns that I started to write with a blend towards the project management as well, kind of put my spin on it. And so I, you know, I went into that consultant journey um, myself for a while. And um, I think I formed my, my corporation and, you know, early 2008. And it was really Expo 2007 that, that really gave me clarity. Um, I'd already left Jeff. I, I was, you know, unemployed for, for, you know, the latter half of 2007 out of, out of choice. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was talking to some manufacturers in the space. And um, so long story short, it was conversations that I had at Expo 2007 that really gave me the aha moment of what. I wanted to make a run at becoming a trainer and, and I was doing freelance project management. Um, I was helping Todd Adams with, with some of the things that he was doing with DI partner. Um, and but within a month or two of founding my, my corporation, the recession hit in 2008. Right. Yeah. So all of the warm leads, you know, the last, the first thing to go from, from, uh, corporate budgets, when times get rough, unfortunately is training. Right? Mm-hmm. because it's like, all right we we'll, we'll wing it, we'll figure this out. And I was trying to um, leverage the, the space or the industry that I was already in. So my target market were CD integrators, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know I was also reaching out to some other um, similar trades that you know I had no, known or been a part of through the years, but primarily I was trying to get get this idea of employee architecture going, for the CDS space, and even I try to do some some stuff for NSCA as well, but all of those warm leads went frigid, right? And so I, and I luckily had already filled my sales pipeline. So I was busy doing the work, you know, it was a one man show. I wasn't selling. I had a, um, a bunch of freelance gigs. I was, I was writing for Resi. I was, I was doing some other things and I had a night job, right? Cause I was, um, I wasn't killing it as a consultant, right? And, you know, <laughs> Um, ironically, I went back to the, uh, uh, the elevator company that gave me my start, uh, my first real job in, in technology in, in high school and I, working out of my house, you know, so I created the work from home thing a long time ago. Mm. I was a dispatcher for after hours service, right? I was just doing tech support and, and, you know, working on emergency service. And, and so I, at night, you know, between calls, I was able to kind of do some writing and, 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 try to try to figure out where the next sale was coming from and and so but you know i still look back at some of those articles i think i shared a i think actually a few of them are actually within my linkedin profile it was was good and i appreciated the opportunity that you had afforded me back then i knew it wasn't a um your typical column for that magazine at the time Mm -hmm. Um, but you know i i it was it was a win-win and i i've always appreciated that so i thank you for that
0: Oh, you're welcome. And it was it was a mutually beneficial situation. And I always said that uh, at, early on, especially with my editor role, uh, I needed to find people that really did the work out there that could be the voices in the magazine. Because who who is this kid with a journalism degree? All I did was put the pieces together and try to find the good voices. So you were one of those very uh, well respected voices that that really helped us have some credibility there. Um, and I appreciate that as well. Um so so, so wh- you you did end up working back uh in, in the integration space after you came back to New York um for a time you were there at EDG correct
1: Yeah so I uh I had met Bob Gullo, the owner of EDG through uh HCSA and also through uh, at the time Speaker Craft and Jeremy Burkhart, they they were doing their own management conference called the gig Mm -hmm. i think the first time i met bob was at at one of those events Um, long story short when i um, had already decided to to move from from florida back back to new york i put the word out right that i that i was looking i wasn't sure what i wanted to do and that's when the interviews for manufacturers started coming i actually had opportunities to you know take part ownership in some companies, but they were in Chicago or Colorado or San Francisco. I said, guys, I'm going to New York. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do something in New York, let's have a conversation. But long story short, Bob had reached out to me, um, was struggling with the service side of his business at the time. And and I immediately said, No, thank you. I, I don't want to be a service manager. I'm past that, you know, at, at this point in my career. And it he made it clear to me that it was an executive position and he wanted to recreate um, what what he was doing and 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 we did that and and so um you know but again you know three years into it it was it wasn't something that 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 i really wanted to do anymore and and bob was was thinking about making some changes to the company so we we parted ways which was the next you know soul searching that i went through Um, and then i that's how i landed on the manufacturing side in a completely different industry you know back in security which is part of my roots right so Um, Which was another interesting journey, you know, going, being outside of the delivery side of projects and working for a company that was supporting integrators. So I was Mm -hmm. able to bring my integrator mindset to help coach and develop my tech support agents. So I, I was eventually, I was hired to run tech support for the Americas, so North, Central, Latin America. And then we made some changes within the organization. I had global responsibilities. So I started traveling you know, around the world to our various sales and support offices and, and building this 24 by, by five um, support model. But I always had that integration integrator mindset. And the, the manufacturer that I worked for was a software first a video management um, system, if you will. And we had a, you know, a unique integration uh, division that would, would write code to integrate third-party software with the video management software so that it was really this um, uh, security operating center, right? So gunshot detection and, and license plate recognition. But the for me, it just resonated, you know, the whole integration concept, right? Mm-hmm. And I was able to get involved at the R&D level, not from a technical perspective, just kind of talk through the process of what it means to integrate systems and, and you know, what does it mean then to support our growing integrators from a project delivery perspective. Right. So I was able to bring my unique experience in a very, from a very crazy industry um, as our business on the manufacturing side was growing. And so it just kind of came full circle. And, um, and, and I also learned a lot about, about uh, business. And I saw very quickly the similarities between, you know, a, a real business and what we called business on the, on the integration side at the time. Um, but again, a project is a project, A business is a business. You know, you, you struggle with the same challenges, and they're just smaller or bigger depending on your perspective and, and what side of the fence you're looking at it from. But, so that that's kind of how I um, I stepped aside from the industry for a while for a while, and then we got acquired, became part of a public organization, and for a while that was great. And then I quickly realized my growth was getting stagnated because mm-hmm. I was much part of this large organization. And be quite frank, I missed integration. Right, I stayed connected with with um, my friends in the C D S space, thanks to Facebook and, and LinkedIn. Um, always had a you know the the corner, you know, my peripheral vision on it. But I when I came back to integration was to be a general manager in the commercial side uh, of AV, uh, running a branch in New Jersey for a company that had three offices, and I was happy. It was my dream mm-hmm. job, you know, because I had P and L responsibilities, and I was you know really at that general manager's seat you know i can apply all of the things that i learned from being my dad's apprentice right and back in high school to to coming full circle to a business leader um and then the pandemic hit and i wasn't looking uh, to leave the company but as we all know you know the in the late in late 2020 residential just was lit on fire again because of the whole work from home and, and educate from home concept and there are a lot of companies within our current market you know here in new york new jersey that you know friends in the industry kept dropping my name and i kept saying i really don't want to to do this <laughs> right I'm, I'm happy where i am i know it's a struggle i know the 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 commercial side of it's going to be slower to rebound but i was really happy but out of respect to those friends that were dropping my name i had i took some phone calls and that's that's how i i came back in uh, january of 21 is when i joined electronic environments
0: and what was it about that particular opportunity at Electronic Environment specifically that you said, OK, this is the one I'm going I'm to take?
1: There's a couple of things. The leadership, right? Um, Kim Michaels is a, is a, is a very uh, um, successful entrepreneur um, in a very difficult market right? He'd been in business now 35 years. And I remember during my interview two years ago, he said, I didn't even have a website until five years ago. And the only reason I did that is because I was told I needed to. <laughs> it was kind of funny because I said during my interview, I said, I kind of sort of have heard electronic, of electronic, electronic environments before. But at, during my, my teaching from CD, I knew who all of the, 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 big, the big companies were, the, the more successful ones. And they, they were just flying beneath the radar in every sense of the world work right so it was it was kim michaels it was some of the things we talked about on the entrepreneurial side of you know we have this this concept that we keep we call developing a business within a business right you're in you're in business 35 years and you know those that are getting started today never really looked far enough ahead to understand what the service model needs to be when you're in business that long especially with the size of the projects that folks like electronic environments, you know, get into, and EDG, audio advisors, and some of the other bigger players, service becomes a really, really big thing. Yeah, And um, that was the essence of what I tried to help Bob with and took a lot of, of learning there in terms of figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Our clientele is demanding, right? And so it's not just about, you know, the the break-fix support, you know, but it's about customer service and customer relations and, and you know, carrying forth the brand that the company needs to be on on the service model from technicians to the folks answering the phones and, you know, and the nuances of invoicing, right. And how quickly you answer the phone. And, but then there's the other side to it is, you know, again, if you're successful enough to stay in business for three plus decades and you've done the right thing by your clients through that, that point in time, at some point, maybe three or four times in that three, you know, three plus decade, uh, time span they need to upgrade their technology yeah right and and one of the things that we as an industry struggle with is that we're very reactive to that right we wait till it breaks or we wait till they call us and say hey i heard about this new you know widget right i want that new 4k tv then we go in there and we just give them a 4k tv instead of actually pausing and saying let's look at this as an opportunity to i'm sure their lifestyle has changed right Mm -hmm. sure they're you know maybe they're empty nesters now and and they're probably not only not using 80 percent of the technology you gave them 10, 20 years ago. So this business within a business concept really appealed to the entrepreneur in me um, Mm -hmm. to try to build this small to medium integration company within this larger umbrella. right? Um, And then, you know, on the, you know, with the other side to it is, you know, like anybody else that's gone through the pandemic and, and in this industry in general, Right. There's there's the essence of, you know, have you paid enough attention to what has changed about your business and and your your staffing, your staffing plan, your approach to projects? You know, we're doing really, really large jobs. Right. Where maybe five years ago, Electronic Environments was doing one seven figure job a year. Right. I've got six or seven in my pipeline right now. Right. And they all seem to hit at the same time, like every other project right that, that you deal with. So there was that appeal to helping um, right-size the organization, not from the standpoint of, of staffing, although there's you know, there that aspect of it in terms of balancing talent and so forth and trying to be all things to all people. But what's the approach that's needed to, to really deal with these these large, complex projects that go on for years, right? And We dabbled in some of those types of projects when I was with Jeff. Mm-hmm. We actually had a special projects division um, that was just focused on those types of projects but now it's mainstream, right? It's just kind of part of our, what we call our main track business. And we got to navigate through that. And as the the larger projects get larger, the threshold for what is considered a small fast track project gets larger. Mm. And then it creates this bigger gray area in between of the medium, right? What's medium for us is, is really large for, for an integrator that's just getting started. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of harnessing all, everything that I've learned through the, this, 25 plus, actually, wow, 35 plus year journey in in technology from understanding what it's like to be in the field and the trials and tribulations of, of poor planning and how that impacts the field and then having to, you know, uh, make sure you're doing the right thing by your clients no matter what what the engagement is and what I learned, you know, leaving the integration space for a while and, and kind of understanding the manufacturer side. It's you know, it's, it's kind of where I'm at right now, just trying to apply that here at Electronic Environments. And the other thing also that was appealing for me, you know, like I said, I was drawn back a lot because of the professional community, the network, right? My my buddies, right? Like you, mm-hmm. like like others from the City University space. And Kim Michaels is a founder. Um, I, I think many in the industry have heard of the Guild, which oh, yeah. is um, There's 14- Similar companies from across the country, right? The best of the best, as, as we like to say, arrogantly. But you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a network of like-minded companies that are struggling and or succeeding in the same areas, and and so part of that aspect of being part of an even tighter community, right? For for brainstorming and and mind share, and you know, I, I just love that stuff. I eat it up. Right. I put me in a room with, with five consultants and I'll be there for a week. Right. And I might know half of what they're talking about, but I just want to see and hear and whether it's validation or, or just learning something new. I, I'm going to shut up and listen, although you probably can't see that right now. <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I love it. Right. And so yeah. that, you know, coupled with who who electronic environments is and wants to become. Um, this the entrepreneurial side, the helping develop uh not just uh people but also emerging leaders right you know Mm -hmm. i'm at the point now where i can coach and guide and and help folks that are new to management or supervisor roles to what does it mean to make that pivot and so it's a combination of things um but like the godfather i got you know got dragged right back in and it it took a lot for me to make the decision because i was like i said i was happy I, i had what i considered my dream job but the writing was on the wall and Unfortunately, for my former colleagues, six months after I joined Electronic Environments, that company that I left got acquired. So, mm. you know, I must have. You know, it's just the the nature of the, the cycles. You know, there's some common common themes here, right? About growing pains and 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 mergers and acquisitions and just the the you know the, the trials and tribulations of life, whether it's personal or professional. So here I am.
0: Well, I think it's interesting that. All through these experiences that you never really saw, sought out to be an owner of your own company, that you you did see yourself as more of the the guy that gets things done um, within the company, maybe um, on that management side. Knowing knowing who you are as a with your skill set, maybe and understanding that everyone has their yeah, you, know, you want a career path, but you also don't want to go into an area where it's just a personality conflict with who you are in your leadership style or your ability to you know think clearly through something so is that what it is you just really know who you are and you know that you're you're not the owner you don't want to have that full responsibility you want to have the the level be, just below that perhaps
1: um the desire is there um i you know, capital obviously is, is, a, is a big thing. Right. It's, it is the responsibility of, of, you know, it's not just your family at that point in time. There's multiple families to feed, whether it's, you know, three of you or a hundred of you. Um, you know, I, I envision myself, you know, maybe, you know, a, a fractional COO or CEO when I go into retirement, right? You know, but I, you know, I'm only 50, so, I, you know, I got some time there, but, um, in fact, you know, it's funny, uh, I mentioned, you know, interviewing with a bunch of manufacturers when I left Jeff, I, you know, when Jeremy Burkhart was still at SpeakerCraft, I came very close to going to work for him. Mm-hmm. And he asked me the exact same question. He goes, when are you going to step up and own it? And uh, and I, the answer at the time was, I, I don't have your money, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, if I hit the lotto, you know, this week, you know, Kim might get upset when I say this, but I would probably try to go buy a company. I don't know if I would buy a company in Resi because, you know, um, all because of profit margins and and so forth, you know, but I I would consider myself or I have aspirations of becoming a serial entrepreneur if I actually had the bankroll, right? Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't just be an integration business. It would, you know, all of the varying interests that I have, you know, whether it's buying a training company or, you know, Whatever, anything that's going to you know um, appeal to my entrepreneurial instincts. I, you know, when I started the consulting company back in 2008, it was the third corporation I had actually opened. Um, mm. When I was uh, in college, or I should say, pursuing my associates at DeVry, um, I actually founded a, a company uh, that was a hybrid it was a telecommunications company and the other side of it was was uh, deep, digging into the roots roots of my dad's career my uncle was in the elevator industry at the time and and so elevator testing elevator inspecting so i i have wanted to be i am a i feel like I am an entrepreneur i've mm-hmm. tried it a few times you know i you know like most entrepreneurs you know i tried multi-level marketing you know i got sucked into that at one point in my life but So it's there, the desire is there, you know, timing, bankroll, responsibilities at home, right? It's, and I'm not a salesman. That's the other side of it, right? That's the thing that I quickly realized when I went through the consulting side of it is I'm not a natural salesman, right? I was a good salesman as a project manager because the relationship was already there and I wrote really big change orders because I I created trust, but the door had already been opened, Mm. right? so that side of me i recognize as a weakness right so i would need a you know either existing company or you know a partner to to really do it um but here i am right it's 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 a capital capital and timing of life more than anything else but i have tried
0: well, I, I think it's great that you you ended up back where we can reconnect, and that's a selfish reason for being happy about that. But uh, also, Kim Michaels is is a very respected um, business leader in our industry, and I uh, I don't know him well, but I've crossed paths with him at HTSA meetings, and uh, anyway, seems to be very um, you know. Engaged with everyone, and everyone really respects who he is. So that's great to hear that you're working together. and And this idea of the company within the company concept is is really intriguing as well. So I look forward to continuing to kind of check in with you, see how that's going, and learn more about it as as it evolves. Um, I know we've we've talked for a long time, so we could keep talking forever, but uh, respect um, your time. So thank again, thank you again for joining us today.
1: It's been fun. I really appreciate you um, connecting. And it, it's amazing what happens over over lunch, right? and <laughs> just, just reconnecting. So I, I appreciate, again, once again, the opportunity to to share share what's on my mind.
0: Keith Cottrell is Vice President of Operations at Electronic Environments New York. You can learn more about his company at eeny.net and track down Keith personally on LinkedIn. That wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast on your preferred platform and consider rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.
1: Residential Ranch, all lighting specialists, to residential to that device, home or smart, home or smart house. Or
0: smart house.